0: Welcome back to American Graffiti, one song at a time. I'm your host, Rachel Mummert, and joining me again today is Jim O'Kane from Movie By Minute podcasts, such as The Rocketeer Minute. Apollo thirteen minute and airport minute. Welcome back again, Jim.
1: Hi, Rachel. Thanks again for having me here. This is a uh, this is such a fun movie, and this is a great scene. There's uh, we're and more more toad torturing, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I know you're doing this one song at a time, but uh, I I'm glad we've got Chantilly Lace, which is uh, there's lots of lots of stuff going on with <laughs> this because um, I mean, the, the, just having him saying that that opening "Hello, Baby," which is. Mm. Uh, you know it has a couple of meanings here with uh it does <laughs> th- these these two thugs about to, about to just pummel poor toad
0: it's an action packed action packed yeah. minute here we have
1: <laughs> yeah and, you know th- through this whole thing that the kind of the narrator of this show is wolfman jack oh yes um, but here here we have you know Wolfman Jack handing it off to another DJ I mean JP J. Richardson mm. was uh, was a Texas DJ he was you know he w- he was the guy that he popularized rockabilly and and was one of the early pioneers of rock and roll I mean we we were talking uh, offline about uh, you know he he was part of the day the music died so being you know he 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 has an honest talent that you're hearing in Chantilly Lace and he has this tie in with early rock and being an early rock and roll DJ like Wolfman Jack, but he's also a legend now in that, you know, he, he, he died with Richie Valens and, and, uh, and Buddy Holly. So, you know, all of whom are heroes to the guys in this. In this movie, they all they all know that story, yeah, it uh poor toad. I just feel bad he's 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 here trying to get his his baby back or it's actually Steve's baby. He's kind of the uh, foster foster father we we watch him doing the uh, the classic it's not a good it's not a good uh steal a car movie unless you know how to hot wire and uh, and that's what uh that's what toad's in the middle of, and it's uh, and
0: that surprises me. That he, I mean, I when you know watching this, I, I think Toad would be one of you know the last character that I would think would you know attempt or you know be pretty good at hot wiring but maybe he i mean i i don't know
1: how to hotwire yeah. but <laughs> it's yeah it, i mean if it's one of those things if you know the basics of how how a car works and i mean unlike today where there's all kinds of anti-theft devices and alarms that'll go off if you try to do something like what he's doing basically he's, he's hot wiring the car uh if you think about the electrical system of a car the ignition key which is in this particular car in a 1958 58 Impala they'd be met, the the key goes into the dash it doesn't go onto the onto the steering column but underneath the dash there should be three wires going there is a tricky bit to to hot wiring there's three there's three wires you have you have a wire coming from the battery. That's where you're getting your power from. It's 12 volts, but it's being delivered at high amperage. And then on the other side, you have two wires. One's a momentary switch that's, that starts the starter. And another one is a continuous switch that connects the battery to the, the, the rest of the power system, the, the electrical system of the car. So what you do you take the uh, picture holding in your left hand, you're holding the wire that's coming from the battery. Uh, in, your, yeah, in your left hand, you're holding the, the wire that's coming from the battery. In your right hand, you're holding two wires. One is from the ignition. Uh, the, it, it, one is from the starter motor of the car, and the other one is uh, the, the electrical system of the car. So what you do is you twist the battery wire onto the electrical system of the car. That should turn on the dashboard lights. All your instrument panel will come on. So that means that power is flowing through your whole car. Then you take the, the starter wire, the one that goes to the, the starter motor that's in the back bottom of your engine. It's this, it's this electrical motor, high amperage motor that it turns over your car's engine. It, it spins the, it spins all the pistons through their cycles while the spark plugs spark. And that, that gets your car started so that once the gasoline is flowing and the sparks are going, your car will pick up from there. It's just the starter gets it those first couple of cranks through there. So you touch you touch that ignition wire to the battery wire for, I don't know, Three or four seconds, and, and it'll do just like when you just when, like when you turn the key ignition. It'll go rum 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 rum, and then the the car will catch, and and the engine will take over and keep it powered. So as long as you've got those three wires, and you know which ones go to where, and the other trick is you don't touch the metal part <laughs> of the battery because that's high amperage, and you will you you could kill yourself if especially the way if you if you look at the the early part of this uh, uh, this section. He's, he's leaning over. He's probably got his knee on the ground. He's touching metal, so that means he's grounded. And if he touches the battery part, he's really going to get a bad shock. So he's, he's working on, he's working on that. He's got, um, and he's working underneath. Steve put one of those racing, uh, steering columns on it. It's got little holes on it. You can grab it and make it smaller than usual so that you can make tighter turns. So, uh, he's got a a non-stock racing. Uh, steering wheel on there. Probably doesn't use it very much, but it looks cool. So <laughs> Toad is busily trying to get those three wires and figuring out which is which. And uh, he gets those two big goons hovering over him.
0: And like you said before, I love the uh, introduction of the song and the introduction of the goon. He's yes, yes, like, We get yes. the, hello, baby. And right at that point, you know, he's he's like, oh, hey, he looks up and sees... Goon number one,
1: <laughs> yeah, who who is uh, none other than Johnny Wise Muller Jr. That's Tarzan, Tarzan's son, right there, right with the with a Superman spit curl hanging down, and <laughs> he just, uh oh, king of you know, king of the jungle is after me.
0: And I love how he's just like, this is. I love his opening line. It's like, oh, Toad, not the best way to go about this. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, he's he's doing those mid-course corrections like some. Uh, my car got stolen. I mean, somebody stole. I mean, it, it went. You know, <laughs> how can I put this nicely? So we, we use the passive voice, and then and then they they use him as like a human volleyball.
0: <laughs> just and just explain to them like I've just been sick. This is not yeah. really good for. It. <laughs> it's like they don't care. They don't care. <laughs> but I do love as the night goes on, and I did read where they did shoot this sequentially. Kind of to show the wear of yep, the knight yep. on each character. And I love how as the night goes on, you can kind of see that in Toad. Especially like his hair is kind of, you know, coming unshellacked. You know, it's yep. kind of coming, going a little bit crazy. And <laughs> you can uh. see the wear and tear
1: of yeah, and he's just yeah, and he's you know his poor glasses are getting damaged, and he's all all mussed up, and just it, yeah, he's just having a rough go. And you know the class, he didn't use the classic line, "You wouldn't hit a guy with glasses." He's just uh, I do love uh, Candy Clark's uh, defense posture of whapping people with her little um, hat blo- hat box like purse, just bink bink bink. <laughs> Yeah. And here comes, here comes the, you know, the Han Solo. I mean, Harrison Ford's in this, but the Han Solo characters to save the day. John shows up and just starts, he hits them so hard. They start using stock sound footage for, uh, <laughs> for, for the punches. The punches are like smack, crash, bam. Very, I, I, it sounded like they used the oldest stock library of audio sounds. That punch is coming out of nowhere. <laughs>
0: Cause I rewatched this a few times, and every time I'd pay to, you know, it's like it was just interesting watching and waiting for that. Like you said, like the stock fight footage sounds. It's like, yep, yeah, <laughs> there's the punch, it's, it's... there's the sound.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's the the Wilhelm scream of. Uh... <laughs> Of punches, it's just everywhere. They're really not getting in a lot of punches. Mostly, it's it, there's a lot of scuffling. I think there's maybe maybe three punches land, but it's they're just kind of tangoing. And that surprised
0: know, me how fast the goons kind of get up and skedaddle because. I mean, they see that, you know, obviously Toad and Debbie aren't really a threat. So, you know, they're kind of, what, two-on-one with Milner. And I'm surprised, you know, they're they're not the big tough, like, okay, regroup, let's get him.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, and they're doing that, that, you know, 1970s Kung Fu style where no matter how many people, they fight them one at a time. (laughs)
0: Yeah, oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) And, you know, and it's, uh, gosh, you know, it's... The 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 good guys wearing a white t shirt and the bad guys wearing a black t shirt. So it's just so you can tell who's who's fighting who because it's it's two guys with um you know with those Fonzie cut the D A haircuts. So they they both look if they both had the same color shirt you wouldn't tell who's who's winning. <laughs> but it's oh poor poor Toad has has the the line here about the uh, you know it's, it's like I'll be dead. And it,
0: <laughs> He's just accepted his lot in life.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He just, you just feel, feel so, so bad for him. But, but he's, you know, he's getting the love of a good woman here. This is just, um, gosh, he's, he's just sprawled like, you know, it's like, like a Michelangelo statue. It's like the Pieta. He's just done in. And, uh, Debbie's doing her best to uh, to support her man, so this is a win for him. I don't know if he, I don't think he realizes it, but it's like, oh yeah, this is the, the girl that I, the girl that I'm, I love that I want to spend the rest of my life with, even though I've only, I met her a couple of, you know, about an hour or two ago. She's uh, she's nice to me,
0: and she stuck around with with them all night through all the events that happened.
1: <laughs> yeah, and again, you know, Mil- Milner is he's not. He's, he's there to do good he's the uh he's the crusader in this whole thing i mean he's protecting women and children and and guys with glasses so he just uh he he's there he saves the day and then he's like like debbie says he's like the lone ranger
0: <laughs> i love her 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 voice her incredulous incredulous <sighs> voice you're like the lone ranger <laughs> <laughs>
1: And, and, you know, again, the Lone Ranger, yet another radio star. So there's more, you know, there's, there's, there's three radio stars. We have Wolfman Jack and we have JP Richardson and now the Lone Ranger show up defining, defining how the night's going. It was lo- very lucky that those guys ran away because it would have been really awkward if they had to continue to beat them off. And these
0: a hatbox uh, purses. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, and I don't think I, I don't think in the ensuing minutes we ever see we never see Toad repairing the the ignition system again. Which I keep I keep wondering about that. With uh, well, this will be somebody else's minute, but I was I'm wondering when they get back to uh, when he, when he gets back to Mel's drive-in and Steve jumps in the car. Did he leave it running? Oh and, yeah. Did Steve notice that there's, you know, like there's a screwdriver jammed in the ignition system where there used to be his <laughs> car key? It's uh, – yeah, it's it's very peculiar. I, I, feel, I, I feel for him. It's uh, – it, Toad – I, I – Every movie generally has an organizing sensibility and although I think I think Lucas was trying to push us toward Richard Dreyfuss's character as the organizing sensibility I think Toad remains the one that we identify with the most in this film. It's peculiar because usually they want you to associate the protagonist with being the heroic type and he's he's not the heroic type. He's more of somebody who just endures. He 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 endures what's going on. He he accepts being a victim and it's like, well, this is this is where this is how it is. This is this is my life now. But we still, you know, we root for him and we want him. We want him to be happy and live and you know stay with his dream girl. But he, yeah, he just doesn't. What he lacks in strength and abilities, he has. He he makes up for in friendship. So he, you know, he has he has Milner uh, to protect him because he's that nice a guy. I try to figure I was wondering if Toad and um is it Kurt what's some um, Richard Driver's character name? Uh Kurt Kurt that is Kurt yeah Kurt and Steve okay that's right. So yeah, I'm I'm picturing that Kurt and Toad may have once been the same character like they split out parts of the story and just made them two characters because I could see
0: Oh yeah, I could see that.
1: Yeah. And then just expand like they came up with more stories. It's like, well, just let's give some of this stuff to Kurt and give some of this stuff to Toad because that, that could work. I mean, I could see I could see how you could work at combining them. That he just want he just wants his night done.
0: I could kind of see yeah. if you could you could switch them. I mean, you could put Toad in with Kurt's storyline and switch, and yeah, have Kurt yeah. being Toad's storyline, and it still would. I mean, character wise, either one. Yeah, it's like it would make sense.
1: Yeah, I I I think Toad has the personality that he could win over, like the Pharaohs. I think he could win over the Pharaohs. You're a good guy, but I don't I don't think he'd I don't think he'd participate in a lot of the mayhem of the Pharaohs. I think that's the difference. Kurt Kurt wanted to have one night of uh, of not being a nice guy. Steve, I don't think Steve is a nice guy. I I think he's gotten away with a lot of stuff that people never noticed because he's you know the old American guy. He's Steve is the one that tells off the uh, the teacher at the at the dance, right? Doesn't he?
0: Yeah, he does. Call
1: him names and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, that's I, I keep thinking that's just another sign that Steve is just not a nice guy. I, I don't. I think he he rides on his reputation, but I, I don't. I don't feel he's as nice as either Toad or or Kurt even. I wonder if Steve left his car with Toad because he knows he'd get free uh, servicing and maintenance. Toad would never wreck his car, and he wouldn't have to worry about you know leaving it in the garage and having somebody else s- turn it over. That it was it was easier to get Toad to maintain it because treat it like a holy relic.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, again, the more you the more you dig into it, it's like it's like peeling an onion. You just keep finding new layers and levels of of where. Where the storyline goes and how how much like like a lot of it's interchangeable, but it still builds on itself. You get more clues as to what people are like. I don't I don't want to talk too much about the the end of this of, of this movie, but I keep thinking about Kurt never came back. Kurt left left town for good and and never came back. Whereas you know Steve Steve got married and just. Just you know, just came came back and and, and he became a homeboy. Like you know, he, he he was part of this town. He became he became you know he he and Cindy Williams probably walked down the street watching other kids throwing up in the seventies and eighties. <laughs> oh look, yeah, that's pretty bad. You know, it's, uh,
0: <laughs> they were the elderly couple in the previous. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's, you know, I, I think that's they, they became townies. It's just fascinating. I have not seen more Have you seen more American Graffiti? I've not seen that. I've I I've have been, not.
0: I've not heard the best things about it be you know, being the sequel, but I have not I have not
1: seen it. I've been remiss and I should watch it. So I think I'm going to I'm going to find it. I I do like uh Charles Martin Smith. I think he's a great actor. If you've ever seen Never Cry Wolf, he's great in that, and I always feel it's the Toad character. He he plays a very honest role, and it's amazing when he's on screen. He has kind of a uh, he has kind of a Jimmy Stewart quality about him. In that, you instantly identify with him. You don't feel he's a he, his roles that he picks. He's never playing a bad guy. He always feels like the everyman, the somebody that you can root for. That he is not. He's not perfect and he's not invincible, and I think that's what makes him so likable.
0: So I think my introduction to him was in The Untouchables.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. As he and again, there he was, he was the nice guy. You, you feel for him, and he, you know, again, he was, he was not Kevin Costner,
0: and he met a sad, sad.
1: Yeah, and that's that's it. I mean, he was the sacrificial lamb. It's like if you want to, you know, it's like when they killed Sparky on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on, on Wandavision, um, you just—he was—he was, he was the—he was the good guy. You, You're—he's the one you're supposed to protect. Which you know, I—I th- I think you get that same feeling when you're watching Toad get pummeled here. here. Yeah,
0: and I meant to—I uh, <laughs> always laughed to myself about this because ever since I've met Alex Robinson of Star Wars Minute, and I've seen this in the Untouchables, <laughs> and in some weird way, Alex, Ma- Alex Robinson, and Charles Martin Smith like kind of remind me of one another
1: oh okay yeah yeah i can i can see that their their personalities are very very straightforward very honest guys and i'm just
0: like i didn't tell him when he was on but i didn't want to be <laughs> like hey this guy kind of is you <laughs> So hey, Alex, yeah. if you're listening.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. Well, uh, the thing, I, the thing I always notice about Alex is if you ask him a question that's I think they're called phatic words. Like you ask when you're having a conversation, but it's like, hi, how are you? When you when you say when you ask Alex how are you how are you, he'll tell you how he is. He actually goes into how yeah. Well, this is how I'm doing. This is what we're doing next. and This is where I'm. <laughs> oh, okay. That's, We'll, we'll we'll have that conversation then. He's uh he's always up for conversation. Yeah, I can I can see that in the, in the Charles Martin Smith character with Alex. It's just yeah, it it's amazing how fleshed out these characters are. Some sometimes not because like we don't know uh, we we don't know Milner's complete background. We don't know much about him. You know, he has he he drops a couple of things with Carol, but we don't know what why he is the way he is he he expresses himself in the past like when he's when he's telling steve or or telling kurt that um you know going back to a high school dance is stupid it's not you're all you're going to do is find out that you don't belong there anymore which he finds out every night when he's on the street meeting all these children who are doing the things that he was doing 7 8 years ago and it's like you find out you're just you're not in that group anymore this isn't this isn't where you belong
0: and even when uh he and carol kind of first come upon um bob falfa yeah and he kind of that kind of struck me because at the very end of i of that, Bob Falfa goes kind of racing through that red light. You know, he's kind of the reckless, invincible, kind of teenager, younger guy. Yep, yep. And Milner, you know, safely and conscientiously stops at the red light. And he's just like, ugh, they got like, yay, who's like that out there. And it's just <laughs> showing like, okay, that's like you said, you know, he's out there every night and people doing what he used to do and he sees it and it's just like, that's, that's not me anymore, you know, but he's yeah. on that cusp of like, where, where am I? Where do I fall anymore in this town?
1: It, it, it's funny how that's echoed in, I mean, you know, 10, 12 years later in, uh, in Back to the Future, or actually more like 17 years later, Back to the Future 3 with, uh, you know, Mar- Marty McFly not going through the light because, you know, he was challenged because, you know, you're, what are your chicken? So he missed getting hit by a car and, and changed his own future. And, you know, unfortunately, as we, as we learn later, that Milner will eventually die in an auto accident in 64. So it's, uh, and again, this feels like you're hearing this story from some guy in his, you know, 50s or 60s telling you what it was like when he was growing up. And he knew this guy, Milner, who was the coolest guy out there. And he had a, he had a car. And, um, I had a friend of mine that I used to work with who, uh, lived on Long Island. And, uh, he would talk about the town that, the town that he grew up with in. There was a car that would drive around and it was a, uh, it was a Dodge Charger, and on the on the side of the car, it had a picture of the, the cartoon character Snuffy Smith, and it said Snuffy along the side. And any anybody, anybody in town, when they'd see a car, people would ask him, "Yeah, but can it beat Snuffy?" And that, that's you know this. It, I I've I. You know, I didn't live in that town, but I heard about I heard about it from a guy who lived in this town. I know about Snuffy, so it was like you know this legend grew up about a car named Snuffy. And you know this Milner, when you're watching him day to day stuff, you're getting some real realism here. But it feels more like you're being told about a guy that somebody knew, like you know, like guy, like like a film director from uh, from Modesto who uh, you know is telling you about people that he knew growing up. that's what this feels like. It's, uh, I, I mean, I, I think the uh, the television version of that is is uh, the Waltons. You know, the Waltons didn't weren't the way they the, the way was shown. But it, you know, that that's that's how the memory was. Wow, this, yeah, this is uh, just such a fun movie. I, I know it's, I keep saying that, but it's like it really is. It's just it's so much fun just staring at all these different characters and realizing how much life is breathed into them.
0: I noticed in this section and one of the other sections I had that had um, music on coming out initially via the radio, they have a, a, a jingle. That's what I call it anyway, a jingle. I hear it twice in this part. It just, it's really simple. And it's, it's a jingle that just says, in the army. And it plays twice here and at least once one other place. And so I was just curious. I was like, that's, you know, wow, that's a lot of jingle time to play but then i'm like you know it's 1962 and we kind of know by the end of the movie at least one of the one of the characters will go off to fight in vietnam so i wonder yeah, if it's yeah. the that that era. yeah
1: that, that, that could be like a uh, a precursor just seeing that it's something where he's going and he's gonna you know he's in a fight now and he'll be in a fight later so yeah and at the time there was there was no draft, so he would you know he would have to have volunteered to have. Didn't he? He went missing in action in 1965, so that would have been yeah, that would have been before or right at the uh, the Gulf of Tonkin incident. So yeah, he would have been in the army as a volunteer, which is the kind of thing that Toad would do. he think this is. I should I should do this. Yeah, it's uh it's fascinating. I have a, a friend who is uh, he my my co-host on uh, on the Airport Minute, Mark Cerulli. His dad, Dom Cerulli, worked on the uh, he he, were, he was he was like a madman. He was a he was an advertising guy, and uh, he was one of the folks that came up with the slogan "Be all you can be" for the Army. And uh, the original slogan was "Be everything you want to be." And the Army said, "No, no, no, you can't you, <laughs> you can't do what you want in the Army. But you can be all you can be." So they changed it to "Be all you can be." But it's uh. Uh, it's interesting, China. You know, what, you know, what what an interesting job! That how do you talk people into being in the army? And it's like, well, you're going to help. You're going to be a helper, and you'll improve yourself. And I, I keep thinking, you want to help somebody and you want to improve yourself. I think that's Toad's. Uh, I think that's yeah, his 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 main drive. He wants to be better than he is.
0: And if he can serve, you know, they tell you, you know, serve your country, help the, you yeah. know, that's just another another bonus. <laughs>
1: Yeah, he just, he wants to be a guy like Milner and like the Lone Ranger. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting that even though uh, Debbie is impressed by Milner, she doesn't dump Toad for Milner. She's there for her man.
0: And that's one thing I noticed earlier when they get back from the canal and Steve goes back to Burger City. And he he kind of asks if either Toad or Debbie want to go along. And at first, you know, Debbie's kind of like, oh, I do. I do. But she sticks with Toad. I mean, even though the cars got stolen and they've had to walk that way and they still have to go, you know, file a report with the police. You know, she doesn't leave him hanging. She sticks by him.
1: Yeah. And even after like everything that he's, it, it, everything gets revealed to her as being a lie. It wasn't his car. He, he doesn't have a Jeep. He doesn't, you know, and it's like he's been lying to her all night, but she's like, ah, oh, guys are like this. I just, you know, it's, it's more if you're honest with me. And she turned down, you know, the other guy that, that, that really was miserable. And while she's out with Toad and he, you know, it, she, I think she sticks with people who are loyal to her that that seems to be more important to her than somebody trying to impress her with really ridiculous lies which i, 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 I well i know this isn't our, this isn't our scene somebody will talk about it eventually but i think she saw right through him from the beginning she's like oh this is another guy line he just wants to tell me this and that blah 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 you know when when he when he's telling her that she looks like uh connie francis i think uh, she yeah when, you, you look just like and she knows that's a line she knows that it's something that, you know, the guy is saying so that he'll, you know, she'll get in the car with him, but she likes his style and it's like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll take the bait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and she's playing this. Uh, she seems very simple. She doesn't, she doesn't seem very bright, but she has a lot of insights in human nature. And I think she's going along she doesn't ever feel like she's in any danger no matter what's going on but she she's going along as an interested audience she's fascinated by how toad makes makes his world work and she you know she adds things to it she's like let me do you know get me get me some hard liquor and you know here's here's some quests for you and she hands him you know get me some hard liquor get me a and she's you know she's telling him the rules all the time like when he's he goes give me a dollar so i can bribe the guy <laughs> <laughs> She's like, no, no, the guy pays, not the girl. So yeah, he, he had to get the rules explained to him. But yeah, then and there, I, I'm. I know these are all other people's minutes, but those are. That's just an enjoyable. It, as you go through this, you keep going. Remember that time? Remember when you know, know. It, the guy was robbing the liquor store? Oh yeah, just yeah, just sheer enjoyment. I. I this is such a beautiful film and uh I'm glad we live in a time where it's still around. It's still, you know, this isn't people don't say, well what what's what's American Graffiti? It's still it's still out there. People still watch it. People still understand what a classic it is. And it, you know, when you think about what it did, it launched, you know, it launched George Lucas's career. I mean, people point back to THX 1138, but I think this is the one that showed he could do a mainstream movie and do it right and get an audience to uh to love the characters that are on the screen. Yeah, all in all, just a, a wonderful, a wonderful film. That, that I think the most important thing is it's rewatchable. You don't look at American Graffiti and go, oh, "I don't want to watch that again." It has such a such a depth to it. You can you can sit through just little scenes and go, "Oh, there's a there's another little nugget that I didn't realize."
0: And I I'm going back to. <laughs> <laughs> the beginning where they hotwire cuz i you know you're explaining sure. you're explaining how hotwiring works and i i remember before we moved to the house that we're in now we lived in an apartment with just outside parking oh. and i Drove 2005 Chevy Cavalier. Oh, wow. I didn't get my car hotwired, but <laughs> I went out to go to work one day and start my car. And it's loud enough to wake up like the entire neighborhood. <laughs> and I, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I turned the car off. And I'm like, I'm going to have to take I go to my husband. I'm like, I'm going to have to take your Jeep to work. Like something is wrong with my car. Come to find out. And luckily, we didn't have it towed or the tow people caught it in time before they towed it away because somebody had stolen my catalytic converter oh wow yeah (laughs) so luckily the tow people caught it because then we were able to file a police report and
1: wow yeah those are valuable little things but it's amazing that you know that you can go in and, and steal that kind of stuff because it's it's not exactly in an easy to locate position. But I guess it's a, well, you know, and the other thing is that Cavalier was a popular car. So there's probably a, a large market for it simply because there's so many other cars that would be able to use it.
0: Oh, <gasps> yeah. And my car sat yeah. pretty low to the ground. So I was like, how? How did somebody squeeze? How do you? <laughs> but <laughs> I, 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 I still ponder
1: that. Um, yeah, good that they left the car at least. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: I had a friend growing up who, uh, his dad had a boat in, uh, in Point, well, in Manasquan, New Jersey, near Point Pleasant, New Jersey. Somebody, uh, they went, they used to go fishing on the weekends. And one weekend they went down and somebody had taken their boat. (laughs) It was like, where do you and they apparently just drove it off nobody they never found it it was um and it was like a it was like a i don't know like an 18 foot you know it was a it was a a fishing boat it had a it had a big evan rude motor on the back and they go out but it's like wouldn't you notice somebody and like you know you you lock it up and you don't you know there's a key and things like that but someone apparently all you have to do is just if, if you cut the Cut the moorings off. That it was chained to the chain to the that slip, but uh, they somebody towed it off and uh, and had the boat. So I always always wonder what happened to that boat, where where it went. (laughs) My dad used to say that the two best days of owning a boat is the day you get it and the day you get rid of it. So I guess they had you know they had a day you got rid of it and didn't know it was their best day.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) I was reading somewhere, and this is probably this probably been brought up before, but the all these classic cars that we're seeing, Universal had purchased the cars for the movie. And they had an auction and they were they were selling off the cars. And I think I think Milner's car got sold for something like four figures. You know, it was like $6,000 or something. But the other ones were just they, – they couldn't get a buyer and they junked them.
0: Oh, yeah. I did read uh, that too.
1: Wow. Yeah. Sc- I mean, you think about a screen used prop nowadays that was in a Lucasfilm film. <laughs> what it would be worth. But that reminds me of – I was up in uh, – this is going far afield from the movie, but I went to a Golden Spike National Monument, which is uh, out in Promontory Point, Utah. It's just north of uh, or west of Ogden, Utah. And uh, it's where the Transcontinental Railroad, uh, where they put the Golden Spike that connected the East Coast with the West Coast. And there are reproductions of the uh, the two engines there. One's called the Jupiter and one's called the 119. I was with the, uh, the park ranger there and somebody asked, well, why are these reproductions? What happened to the originals? And they said, well, the originals were scrapped. And it's like, well, weren't they important? Why didn't anybody save these important things? And he said, well, the interstate highway system was completed in 1972. Uh, would you think that they would have saved the last two dump trucks that worked on the interstate highway system? It's like, well, no, it's just a dump truck. And it's like, that's the way the locomotives were. It's like, these are just two more locomotives. We had a one-day photo event, and that was that. We didn't, you know, people didn't realize this is history, like the stuff you're going to read about in a history book. So it's it's the same thing with this kind of stuff. It's ephemera. You don't, you don't save it. You don't complete it. This was all part of a, a job that Lucas had for a couple of months, and Universal had some assets they needed to liquidate because they were taking up space in a warehouse. So off they went. Went. but still sad Still, you can still be sad about losing losing the great cars
0: oh yeah because i just saw yeah the impala didn't sell it sat on the lot the movie studio lot for 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 a time after the completion it said it was sold through a newspaper listing for a few hundred dollars to yeah. to a kid in his late teens or early 20s
1: <laughs> <laughs> so goodbye to that yeah well not uh, a shame
0: like reading through because I I, I knew I knew but I you know I had to you know read more to make sure I got it right with just about you know Chantilly Lace and the Big Bopper and everything you know the day the music died and it's just amazing to me because I I looked at just to verify the ages of all three well and the pilot too that died and it was like the big bopper he was the oldest and he was only 28 and it's like now it's like oh my gosh like 28 that's so
1: yeah they're kids you know and
0: and just how that all unfolded so consequential just so because richie valens and uh Tommy also basically flipped a coin. Flipped a coin, yeah. and it could have been either. I mean, it was Valens, but like Waylon Jennings was there too.
1: Yeah, I think, and I think Waylon sometimes try to, tries to take credit for the coin toss. So there must have been a lot of a lot of coins flipping that day. But all because the heater broke on the bus.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: you know, you wonder what kind of music you would have had after that, or where you know where it would have gone from there. I've heard, I've heard people talking about how well Buddy Holly might have been at the end of his career. There, there were you know his he was kind of his music was sounding outdated but he had he had so many you know it, it, it there there's the music was changing at the time and he he went out at his peak but i still think he would have changed with it he you know like like the way the Bee Gees did or the way the beatles did or, or the rolling stones they came you know they followed the way the music was and, and also pioneered it but it would be interesting to hear him go from the uh yeah you know, the rockabilly type of rock and roll to what would have come out in the later 60s would have gone psychedelic Would he would have gone into country or things you know you wonder what what would have that future been like but, uh, we won't know it's uh, interesting to speculate though at least we got a good uh, Gary Busey movie out of it which i'm surprised nobody's ever done a, Well, as as we're recording this nobody nobody yet has done a buddy holly story uh movies by minute which would be an interesting uh, an interesting experiment but don't don't look at me for that please i don't <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking a. I'm taking a break. I'm on hiatus. <laughs> well, anyway, a beautiful, a beautiful film. In any case, I really, really enjoy this film, and uh, I may watch it again next week. I just, I, I think I got a taste of it uh, this past week in rewatching it, and it's been a while, so uh, I think I may go back and just take another look. Now that I, I remember more of the movie, uh, I think going back and looking at it again would be a good, a good trip.
0: And yeah, I know I'm kind of sad because I'm like we're getting really close to wrapping this thing up. So it's like, oh man, like I might have to go back into a rewatch.
1: How often do you, how often do you rewatch or you, are you just rewatching the minutes when you watch this or where we, where what do you usually do what's yeah, your style Yeah, usually
0: of yeah, I'll rewatch the the minutes before, you know, as I cuz when I when we first started this, I actually had never seen this in its entirety, so that I mean it was neat to get introduced to it and finally get to watch it. But then, you know, just as I as I go on, I I usually just kind of refresh through watching watching the minutes
1: yeah, I I tend when I'm do when I'm doing one of these about maybe a third of the way through a movie, I'll go and rewatch the whole movie again just so that sometimes when you watch just chunks of it, you kind of lose the whole narrative flow. So I try maybe about a third of the way, and I say, okay, we're done 40, 40 or fifty episodes. I think I should watch the whole thing again before I start watching the segments again. But then you got to edit more things you got to do, and you, you just you run out of time <laughs> eventually. So I think my series suffer toward the end of the toward the end of a show. I want to watch it more and want to get into it more, but I also want to make sure that we're ending right. We've got good guests on. I've got things to converse about. So it just it toward when you when you start getting into the triple digits you're like, "Oh my gosh, I've got to think of something else to say. What what have I missed?" But uh, you you've, you've picked a good one in this because I think there's there's so much to talk about, even, you know, stuff stuff we haven't even covered here.
0: At least you're not, you know, like doing like when they did Lord of the Rings. At least you don't have to, you know, go so far through and then rewatch. <laughs> yeah. Like Return yeah, of the King be- extended edition. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I'm really impressed by, you know, like like the Indiana Jones folks or, or Star Wars, where you look at it and you're like, oh my gosh, we're in, you know, we're in episode four and we've got to go through five more. And we've got to, you know, <laughs> and they're coming, they're making more of these movies on, you know, so that's, that's the, that's like building the pyramids to me. It's wow, what a, what, a, what an accomplishment. But it's, it's still fun. It's, if as long as you're, as long as you're having fun when you're getting in front of the microphone, that's, that's what really counts.
0: You know, because you 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 watch the minute and take notes, and it's fun to see just how everyone else, you know, other other guests and whatnot, you know, what what they bring in to the to the table and how they interpret everything, and you know, little things they say, and you're just like, oh my gosh, like some things, it's like I literally never caught that or never thought of yeah. it that way, and it, then you do want to kind of rewatch it with that in mind and being like, okay, let's see how this works, and it's pretty amazing.
1: We had on um, on our show, The uh, the Best Years of Our Lives. We're doing The Best Years of Our Lives. We're doing the show called The Best Minutes Podcast. We had Catherine Weiler, who is the daughter of William Weiler, the director of the movie, on the show. And she has a cameo. She's one of the few, one of the last few living people who were in the movie. She talked about where she was in. She was in this crowd scene in a drugstore. And she was about six years old. And she and her sister, her sister Trudy, was four years old, who's also in the, in the movie, in a crowd scene in a drugstore and we were watching that that minute with her and i said is the that man that's standing with your sister isn't that your dad william wyler and she was on the microphone with me and she turned and she said you know i've been watching this movie for 75 years and i never realized my dad has a cameo in this movie and he you know th- we we found this out 75 years along with the daughter of the director <laughs> it's just it's just ama- amazing to have that. I mean, that, that's the beauty of watching this almost a frame at a time that you find you still can find new nuggets even after years. But that's that's a lot of fun.
0: All right. Well, I think that wraps up my my portion of this. If you had anything else or.
1: I think we've 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 covered it adequately and I'm sure there'll be there'll be more. You'll have more interesting guests in the future, too. They'll that'll find stuff we've missed. So that, that's always something to look forward to. <laughs>
0: And listeners to this podcast, you can join the conversation on the social media at Mel's Listeners Drive-In. And Jim, did you have anything you wanted to plug to our listeners where they can find you?
1: Well, you can find, I mean, please go out to that, that Movies by Minutes group that uh, we talked about, The uh, this the group project of the 1946 William Wyler film, The Best Years of Our Lives, should still be playing as you're airing this particular episode. You can find that at our big site, uh, thebestminutes.com, or on Spotify, TuneIn, uh, iTunes, Google Play, wherever you, wherever you found this podcast, you'll probably find our podcast, The Best Minutes Podcast.
0: All right. And we just want to give a big thank you again to Jim for guesting for these past couple of segments of the movie.
1: I appreciate that very much. It's, it's, it's always fun to talk about movies with a lot of meat to them. I mean, you can really sink your teeth into this film, so I appreciate you having me on. Thanks again for, for letting me be part of this.
0: And listeners, join us back here tomorrow, where we will cover American graffiti one song at a time. He's really fast, isn't he?